ja. Åh. Åh ja. Åh, jag kan man upp med det sådär, ha? Land of 10,000 lakes. All right, 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 you'd, you'd, one, two, one, two, you'd, <coughs> 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 okay, this is a leprechaun coughing over here, all right, you'd, are we on, oh, yeah, oh, 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 we're talking about dude, you know, one of the things that I love the most is when Ryan, writes a joke on the outline <laughs> and you you just and then read it. he puts my name next to the joke as if I'm the one that's supposed to deliver it. Oh, did I do that? You did. I'm not so a lot of times when I'm writing jokes on the outline, it's so that if you take it, you can make the no, joke. No, it's it's so that when I'm reading it while we're doing the episode, like I make myself laugh. You know what I mean? Oh. Or just when I'm writing the outline to like keep myself entertained mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, I'll like write something funny. And I'll be like, <laughs> you know, ah, <laughs> keep it so. So stale. you become the Pillsbury Doughboy. Exactly. Got yeah. it. Because these things take hours, they bro. Do. Hours. They do. Mm. And so sometimes I gotta go, <laughs> you know, while I'm typing, <laughs> just to keep it a little, a little fresh. You need that little kick to you get you freshies. through. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it's almost over, buddy. I <laughs> say that. It's almost over, bro. Ryan literally cried. I did. I did. When I was finishing up Revelation, well, the top part of Revelation. <laughs> the title. Or, yeah, title well, and author and stuff. I, I totally cried. Did you? Yeah, I did. Because it's, uh, it's been a big undertaking. Hold Many on. years outlining. So real talk. Now that we're done, well, almost done. What are, What are you thinking about doing? Because you've been the content creator for so many years. Oh, for the upcoming seasons? I know seasons? I, have, I have some ideas. I know Mark probably has some ideas, but what are you thinking? I think Ryan's going to break out into a solo career. We're going to take it on the road. <laughs> Beyonce of the group. Yeah, maybe so. Um, obviously, I want to do something in the realm of Christianity. Okay, mm. that's number one. Okay, well, actually, is that... I know you're probably joking, but we were talking about possibly doing Islam. We were. So. Yeah. We were talking about, I think, going through some other, quote, holy books and, uh, you know, maybe debunking them or something. That was one option. I don't know if I'm super keen on that option anymore. Yeah. Probably either um, an overview of theology and going theological like topics theology. one by one. Yeah. Paterology, Christology, soteriology, you know. And hitting points within those disciplines and maybe making each discipline a season. I was thinking that could be a direction. Or um, church history. I know you brought up because a, a large portion of what we do is church history. When we're talking about the authors of these books and how we know that they're the authors of the books and the historical context and things like that. All, a lot of that is church history. And so it's sort of natural for us because we are like a, we're like a Bible context podcast. I feel like is what we mm-hmm. turned into. And when we, were, when we were at like G3 or when I'm just talking to random people about it, that's sort of what my pitch for the show has become is that we're a show about Bible context. Yeah. Um, because that, that kind of is what we have become, I think. Mm-hmm. Where my heart's at right now is church history and canonization. 
only because systematic theology is great, and I'll totally be all for it. But systematic theology is meaningless if you don't believe the scriptures are errant. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe that it's God's holy word, and I think studying canonization and how we got what we got really helps cement and knowing that what we have is a real deal. Hmm. It's not just thrown together randomly. This is years of church history leading up to what we have today. And in fact, most of what we have is extremely close within, what, a couple hundred years of people who had direct experience with it. <sighs> yeah, not even a couple hundred for some of these. I mean, mm-hmm. Like 70 years yeah, for a lot of I'm them. Saying. Yeah, Um So... For me, church history and canonization are like really taking the forefront of my studying recently because it's really helping me like really know. Because a lot of the things we know, we know because we were raised as Christians. And maybe sometimes we're dogmatic about certain things and we don't really know why. Hmm. It's just because we've raised to learn it or... That's a lot of things, I would guess. Yeah, a lot of things. But if you start talking, like one of the things that really uh, opened my eyes is that talk that our friend had with uh, that liberation theology girl. Um, what's his name? I'm oh, sorry. you're talking about K-Dub? K-Dub. And uh, Joe Lumen. Yeah. I think her name was. So one of the things that that discussion really did for me was open my eyes to realizing that we can't be one-dimensional Christians. Yeah, it's important to study the Bible, of course. That's the priority, knowing the scriptures. But she can throw you curveballs about church history and about Jewish culture and about ancient writings. And if you don't know how to if you don't have an apologetic for any of those things, it's going to seem like you got stumped. So it really opened my eyes where am I being dogmatic because you know, I just know my dogmatic points about my theology or am I being dogmatic because church history and all the things that lead up to what we have today in our Bibles have supported what I believe. Mm. So anyway, that's why Church history and canonization has been at the forefront of my studies. What are you thinking, Mark? Um, I, th- my vote is kind of also for church history. Um, I feel like the systematic theology is kind of like a snore fest. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being it's, honest. It's just, I mean, it's good stuff. It's just, it's just a snore fest. I just feel yeah, like yeah, it would yeah. be really boring. Yeah, but, no doubt. Um, and there's plenty of resources out there if people want to learn that. That is very true. That's a good point. There's a lot of theology. There's a lot of church history though there. too. Yeah, I guess so. a ton of it. But I, if you just look up Arianism, yeah, you'll get like 50 podcasts that already talked about it. It's true. So, but I, from what I've studied of church history, I think it would make great podcast material mm, um, to talk about. I, th- I think a lot of it is fun to talk about and to That's learn. That's true. That's very true. And there could be a whole slew of banter that comes out of that. Not that that's no the point. Doubt. For sure. For but sure. No I doubt. know some people hear the word history and they think that's a snore fest. Yeah. But I love history. Or how Me about too. both? Yeah. How about church history and systematic the history theology? of theology? Yeah. So how church oh. history supported the doctrines? Because my pushback on just knowing church history and not systematic theology is that exactly what happened in church history is yeah. what will happen again. If you don't have a good systematic theology study, what happened with Arianism, he had a poor understanding of Christology, and then it created a whole heresy that has infiltrated the church even till today. Mm -hmm. So having a proper understanding of both, I think, is critical. Yeah, I'm not saying theology itself is a bore, but 
I feel like the podcast material would be, mm, if that makes yeah. sense. I could see that. I could see that. And I might feel weird joking about like theology, you know, like joking about Christology and things like that. Whereas most of our jokes, they come when we're talking about the author and stuff like that and their background, which is like, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But if we're talking about like proof of Christ's resurrection or something like that, you know, I don't know how if. I would want to poke fun at something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I could see in that sense how it would be just like us giving facts. Be kind of dry. Our yeah. approach is definitely going to change. Yeah. We got to find jokes somewhere. Yeah. We got to find them somewhere. Which gives it a good segue to... <laughs> Bible dingers ding or wow. no ding. <laughs> Bible dingers ding or no ding. I'm Nick, I'm here with Ryan and Mark, and we are Bible Dingers. And we start each and every episode with Ding or No Ding, (laughs) where I come up with a news headline, and my friends, Ryan and Mark, have to decide whether it's Ding real or No Ding fake. That was so loud. Loud. And then we dive into the topic at hand, and that is the Book of Jude. Yes. You guys like it loud? No. Pump up that energy, baby. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of exciting. Pump up that energy. It's kind of exciting. Why'd you have to lower it, bro? <laughs> it's kind of exciting. Why'd you have to lower it? Anyway. I think yep. I've stumped you yep. enough. I am ready for this. I don't think I have to stump you again. You don't have I to. I think we could just have fun talking about <gasps> that's what? Not, that's not fun. What? That's not fun. I think we could just go ahead and... What? No, I'm just kidding. No, oh, no, 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 you almost gave me a heart attack. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so it's time for the headline. Are you ready for this? Mark. Mark, are you ready for this? Ryan. Oh. Are you ready for this? Nick, are you ready for this? Oh, I was born ready. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Deceased woman. Deceased woman. Deceased? Deceased, deceased, deceased woman talks to mourners at her funeral. Okay. There's some nuances here. Deceased woman. I mean, people could claim to woman. There's, I mean, the the people at the funeral could claim they heard from her, but I don't know if that's true. And also deceased in my mind is the key word here. Because obviously, if they think she's deceased, then that's no ding, right? Because it's not true. She was not deceased. However, this is the thing. We're trying to figure out if it's a real headline or not. Yeah. And it very well could be. Here's the thing. Last time I checked, deceased people don't talk. Yeah, that no. that but I haven't checked in a while. Okay, yeah. You know. Unless you're Paul and you wrote it after he died. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Or Moses. Yeah, that was Moses, I believe, in Deuteronomy. No, no, but it was Paul in our episodes. Right. Yeah. 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 Did it before he, I understand. After he died. I yeah, understand. Yeah. You need me to explain it? Tooting or not tooting? That is the question. What is the answer? Marky, you ding. First. ding. 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 Right. Ding. I'll ding, give it ding, to you. Ding. Ding. I'll give it to you. Ding. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. (laughs) 
Al. I'm about to read it, but you guys kept clapping. I don't care if you stumped me. I mean, I don't care if I stumped you or not. Yes, you do. I don't, because yes, I've had an exceptional record this season. That's true. And I am proud of it, and I don't care. I just want to talk about this. It's not what you think. Al Tech let deceased woman talk to mourners at her funeral. A uh, grandmother was able to answer questions uh, at her own funeral last month with the help of new artificial intelligence powered holographic video technology. That's pretty sick. Holocaust educator Marina Smith passed away in June at the age of 87. However, an AI tool, I said Al tool, you an did, AI you? tool. I was trying to figure out what you were saying. An, An AI tool. tool called StoryFile, built by her son's firm, meant those attending her funeral could watch her respond to their questions about her life. So uh, prior to death, that, Smith had previously recorded hours worth of details about her life, many of which were unknown to mourners. Oh, so they just pre-recorded answers. Yeah. By using then- 20... The AI could just figure out what's the right answer yeah. to give. Maybe. Yeah. Just like hit play on the video. Yeah. Interesting, I guess. I mean, if it's their family, they can do whatever they want. You know what I mean? So it was real answers to real questions. So if someone asked a question, this computer was smart enough Wait. to like search through these recordings. Yeah. And it would answer her the questions in real time. So it was real answers to real questions. That's so the extraordinary thing was that she answered questions. their questions with new details and people feel emboldened when recording their data. Mourners might get a freer, truer version of their lost loved one. Oh, that's... So this is a video here. That's her. Oh. But if if you were to be at her funeral and be like, hi, excuse me, can I ask a question? She'd be like, Sure. I I have to say I've never been to a funeral with a Q&A time <laughs> during the funeral. Yeah, whose idea was this? Yeah, that's interesting. An AI firm. Hmm. Did they like... Yeah, okay. All right. Well, you know You're just going to go ahead and move on. Listen. Too many people thought I would never get far and never supported a show. And one of my teachers pulled me out of my class to tell me my grades were low. I never do good when people are living in the space invading the dough. That's when I knew that I had to get out of here. Yes, I'm a ganger! Jet fast, now I'm on a tail, so tell them the school is out. But all my partners with me, straight out the city and showed them a You are listening to Bible Dingers Podcast. Yeah, they came out of my mouth. And all of them country girls and outlaws come straight out of the south. Hey, hey. So now we dive into the topic at hand, and that is the book of Jude. And first and foremost, we talk about the. Where are the turtles? Title of the book. Where are they? You would think after four years no, of using the you soundboard. Just, you nope. move things around. Oh, is that what it is? No, I thought the app moves it around. Yeah, the app and me. Yeah. So the title, and here comes an infamous joke written by Ryan. Oh, infamous. The title. to introduce your jokes. As with most other general epistles, comes from the ascribed author of the book. And Jude, in Hebrew, is Judah. And in Greek, is Judas. Ah! (laughs) There's Ryan's joke. It's not supposed to be a joke that we say on the episode. He wrote... Scream. 
I, that is not supposed to be a joke that we say in the episode. It's just me enjoying myself. You highlighted the word Judas in red. <laughs> I did, and I put ah. Yeah, you're supposed to, to say it in red. Yeah. You didn't say You it. know how to change the color of the word when you say it? Red. <laughs> I mean, Well, you Judas. still say Judas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who wrote this? The author is Jude. Because he is a self-proclaimed writer of the book in verse one, because hopefully you know this, there are no other chapters in this book. Hopefully you know that. Because if you don't, what happens? I will slap you, bro. I will slap you two times. Also, Jude was confirmed as authentically canonical by Clement of Rome and Clement of Alexandria. And I believe we, I wrote Alexandria, not Alexandria. Alexandria. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he said it right. He kept going. But. Yeah, right. Well, and it's wrong. It's he's Clement of Alexandria. <laughs> They're two Judas. different people. Ah! Anyway, we will discuss more on Jude's life in the historical context. I can, I'm trying not to cough here, bro. <coughs> All right. Yo, 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 when this was written. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm fin to tell you when this was written, okay? And we must tell you ahead of time. This is a long section. Oh, big time, bro. This is a long section because there is some debate here. Oof. There's some debate because... Um, if you didn't notice, Jude is nearly identical to a certain section of Second Peter. This is something that we've mentioned in the book of Second Peter. Mm. And in, well, we didn't mention it in the book of Second Peter. We mentioned it in the episode about the book of Second Peter. We had nothing to do with the writing of Second Peter. I just want to make that clear. But that is a controversial book. That is a controversial book. Similar to the book of Jude, which we're discussing today. And now, the book of Enoch. And the book of Enoch, which is not a book. Okay, so we get into this discussion because I said in the episode on Second Peter that we were going to get into this discussion today. So we are going to get into this discussion today. today. All right, the discussion of the date of authorship for Jude interacts heavily with its relationship with Second Peter. The book of Jude has an uncanny Similarity to Second Peter chapter 2. They both have the same general flow and both cover the same rather ambiguous topics, such as comparing false teachers to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and comparing them to Balaam, who is, uh, as you know, the guy with From numbers. Yeah, with the donkey, mm-hmm. with the talking donkey. They also both discuss difficult to interpret passages about the nature of angels, and they both compare false teachers to animals. They say they're like not like specific animals. They say they're like animals. And there's there's lots more examples like this where it's sort of it's almost strange wording, and it's like extra strange that they both say the same things. And and so because of this, um, you know, people think that there's some influence somewhere or some copying somewhere in there. Which may not be a bad thing, by the way. 
Um, anyway, so because of these similarities, the discussion about the date of authorship of Jude hinges on whether Second Peter or Jude was written first, because it's it's really clear that one was used at least as a resource for the other. And so it's sort of up to us to figure out which one came first in this section. So conservative scholars typically agree that Second Peter predates Jude for a handful of reasons. And I'm going to give you three reasons why they believe that. Um, Second Peter talks about the false teachers that will soon be infiltrating the church, while Jude discusses false teachers that are currently in the church. Um, the second point, Jude actually says in verses 17 and 18, Dear friends, remember what the apostles foretold. In the last time, there will be scoffers who will follow their own only ungodly desires. He is directly quoting an apostle here. Um, and the quote about scoffers and their ungodly desires comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. So I find that to be a very interesting point. Yeah. Um, and then thirdly, if Jude was used as a resource by Peter, the early church would have not delayed in canonizing Jude because it would have had confirmation by an apostle. Second Peter would have confirmed the book of Jude, and so it would have been like immediately accepted as a canonical book of the Bible, but there was a little bit of delay when canonizing Jude. All right, let's move on here. So it's, it's likely that Jude saw the importance of Peter's message when reading it and decided to send his own version to the audience that he was involved with. He likely reworded it a bit to appeal to a Jewish Christian audience. Because we know that 2 Peter was likely written before Jude, this helps frame when Jude was likely written. 2 Peter was written sometime between 64 and 68 AD, as we mentioned in the 2 Peter episode. Jude makes no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem, which is likely where he lived and one of the most momentous events in Jewish history, Jewish history, and the destruction of Jerusalem was in 70 AD. And so that likely, not definitely, but it likely puts the writing of Jude somewhere between 66 and 70 AD. Action is coming. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Is it? Is that soundbite you? Because how you always say, are you ready? Mm -hmm. Did you record that at your I house? I knew it. Definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> are you ready? Bro, can you stop pushing the soundbite? <laughs> oh. What was that? That was the end. Look. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh okay. bro. Can you? Oh. I can't tell if it's you Ladies or the soundbite. You ready? <laughs> I hear it. I hear it. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the historical context. Now, this, uh, as the previous section, is also a large section. So go tell your mammy and your pappy that you're not fit to be home for din-din. I don't like lechecita. You're not going to have no lechecita because you're going to be listening to the historical context and daddy no want daddy no want milk. milk all right so daddy no want milk let's get into this historical context jude also known as judas by the way 
Is it? Ah! <laughs> is it the same? Same Yes. <coughs> no. It is the same name. I thought, is that what, what you were going with there? Jude and Judas are the same name. Yes. Yes, no. Jude, who wrote this book, and Judas Iscariot, no. No, no, no. No, same. I don't like Lechecita. I don't like Lechecita. So Jude, or Judas, was a very common name in the New Testament era. There are eight mentioned in the New Testament. So because of this, there is some discussion to be had on exactly which Jude wrote this book. And there are a few options, of course, Judas Iscariot not being one of those options. Uh, There are three main options that I think that that people uh, seem to gravitate towards. The first one is Judas, who is the half-brother of Christ. And we mentioned this before. We say half-brother because Jesus' legit parents were Mary and God, I guess you could say. Um, and any kids born from Mary and Joseph, we, you know, call half siblings. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not like anything important that you need to be hung up on, but that's, that's how we, uh, we call them half siblings. So that's the first option. The second option is Judas, the apostle. And then the third option is Judas, the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into these. So let's dive first into Judas, the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, this Judas was sent to Antioch with Paul, Barnabas, and Silas. We see this in Acts 15, verse 22. His surname was Barsabbas, which means that he was probably the brother of Joseph Barsabbas. Joseph Barsabbas was one of the two nominees that was cast lots over to determine who would replace Judas Iscariot. If you remember that story from yes. when we were going through the yeah. book of Acts. Yes. Um, he may have authored this book, but probably not because he's a very minor uh, character, I guess you could say, in the New Testament. All right. So the second option, Jude the Apostle. Uh, he's also known in the Gospels occasionally as Thaddeus. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Jude the Apostle can and should be distinguished from Judas the half-brother of Christ, um, although it is of note that Catholics say that they're the same mm-hmm. person. Hmm. Um, however, John chapter 7, verse 5 says that Jesus' brother did not believe in him before his death and resurrection. And so this is likely not the author of the book of Jude, as in verses 17 through 18 the author distinguishes himself from the apostles. He calls the apostles they, as opposed to we, we, when he's talking about the group of apostles. So it was likely not Jude the apostle, I think, because of that reason. Hmm. All right, and the final option we gave was Judas, the half-brother of Christ. And I think that this is the most likely candidate for authorship of this book. This Jude was not an apostle of Jesus, yet he still held significant authority. Um, also in verse 1, this Jude calls himself the brother of James. And the James mentioned here is probably the author of the book of James. And that James is the brother of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Galatians 1. Catholics wouldn't agree with that either. Right. If not, Jude... Not even James? No. Yeah. Jesus can't have brothers because married out of virgin in their doctrine. Yeah. Oh, she was assumed into heaven, right? 
the assumption to marry. Yeah, no, and they oppose. Yeah, they oppose any siblings of. I don't know about that, but oh, they oppose any siblings because yeah. she had to be forever a virgin. Yeah, even though it doesn't say that anywhere. They, but, I think right. they say she was sinless, right? Yes, they do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So sinless means she wouldn't have sex or lust. What? So, because <laughs> well, having I, sex I, in marriage I, is a sin, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And having children with your husband would make you unholy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, if Jude is the brother of James and James is the brother of Jesus, this is probably also the Jude that is the brother of Jesus. So, uh, as mentioned before, Jude did not believe in Jesus during his ministry. This is likely why Jude calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. I think it's it's probably with a heart of humility that mm-hmm. he writes this because Absolutely. Um, he was what we call a hater prior to Jesus' resurrection. Now it is time for the porpoise, a.k.a. the purpose of the book. So this is a harsh and outright opposition of false teaching that has snuck into the church. The audience is exhorted to contend for the faith against ungodly false teachers. And that's pretty much the entire book. Next up is everybody's favorite part of the show. That is the fun facts section. This is really, really interesting point that Jude quoted from non-canonical sources in this book First, he uses First Enoch in verse 14 and the assumption of Moses in verse 9. Yeah. So that looks different to different theologians depending on what you're reading, on what that actually means. But what the heck, Jude? What the heck? There's nothing wrong with using historical books. I mean, what the heck? You're not saying that those historical books are canonical. Oh. You're just saying you got some information from them. Oh. As if I, I took some words out of the dictionary oh. and I wrote them in God's word. No. That doesn't mean the dictionary is God's word. That's your opinion. No. It just means I use it as a resource to gather information. No. That's your opinion. You can't use words from the dictionary. So, <laughs> no, the dictionary is not the word of God. And either is First Enoch or the Assumption of Moses. But it was an historical book. And I would like to mention, and I could be completely wrong on this because I didn't research this before this episode, but I believe that Paul used like pagan books in his sermons in order to make a point to the audience. And so he wasn't affirming that there's any truth in these pagan he was just holy books. Point. He was just making a point that supported Christianity. Yeah, and... and- the argument that because Jude uses these books, that means that they have relevance in the canon is just an absurd argument for me. Because how many sermon illustrations do we pull out from movies and, and different things? High, high-end theologians early on in church history were using analogies to help people understand because these were the things that people were looking at in their time. So he was trying to prove a point. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to say that these books were canon. Yeah. But... Whatever. Like, uh, in Second Kings, they're always like, "Here's this king, but you can read more about him in the book of the Kings of Israel." Yeah, yeah. Good point. It's outline time. All right, outline time. And this book has one, two, three, four, five 
points. The first is an introduction, and in verses 1 through 2, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, as Ryan has mentioned earlier, this is an interesting fact because he's actually the brother of both James and Jesus, but he only identifies here as a brother of James and a servant of Jesus. And what does that mean? That means he's acknowledging Jesus as his Lord. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus and not like boasting in that? Yeah. So it shows so much humility, humility here because if Jesus was my brother, like biologically, <laughs> I'd be like, you don't know what you're talking about. He's dude, my brother. He's my brother. Uh, yeah. Yo, what do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be boasting of that all day. And then uh, the purpose of this epistle is point two, verses three and four. And in short, it's to fight false teachers. It's really, it, it, it's done there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and a lot of people oh, like to be weak with false teachers and like to like like sugarcoat their, the stuff that they say, like with outright false teachers. The Bible is not soft mm-hmm. on people who pretend to be pastors and who outright teach false doctrine. Yeah, uh, the Bible is not soft on any of those. Yeah, they are like, if anything, they drill them harder. Than it talks about how the fires of hell is awaiting them. Seriously, like that. yeah, mm. you know. So no, you don't have to be soft. Show grace, and we're going to talk about that. Show grace, but at the same time, yank them out of the fire. But we're yeah. going to talk about that soon. Um, and point three though is warnings against these false teachers in verses five through sixteen. And it sections off uh, with previous failures and present failures, and I'll explain those. So they give a first example of certain Israelites in verse 5. So they say that Jesus, not they, but the writer of Jude says, Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed people who did not believe. So this example specifically of of people... Of, God, who freed the Israelites from uh, captivity um, from the Egyptians. And what's interesting is is that it says Jesus. So anybody that says the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is God yeah. would have a rough time yeah. talking about this verse here. Because it says Jesus who saved the people. From what we know, it was God. Jesus is God. Mm. How you doing? But he gives us some other examples, the example of certain angels in verse 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept them in eternal chains. This is a reference here in Jude that's really interesting, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So that's why I believe that demons are disembodied spirits. They don't have a physical body. In order to have power over anyone, they need to possess people or take someone else's body. But they don't have actual bodies. They are disembodied. Um, and I get that belief from the verses in Jude. What about the chains? How are they chained? Without With disembodied body? chains. Oh. You dummy. Well, they're disembodied now because their bodies are chained. They don't have a body. Is that what you mean? Yes. Disembodied. Disembodied. Oh, that's good. I like that. You like that? Anyway. Then they give uh, the... They. I keep saying They. Then the author of Jude gives us example of certain pagans in verse 7, just like Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities 
which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, which we know actually did happen because we interviewed Dr. Stephen Collins on our YouTube channel. So if you don't know who he is, he's the archaeologist that discovered the site of Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, he's currently excavating it. Yeah, he's yeah. excavating it right now for it's a pretty, couple of years. It's fascinating. Yeah, and and what's interesting is there ha- have been some other archaeologists looking for the site, but they skipped out on the Bible, thinking the Bible wasn't true. But Stephen Collins said, "No, the Bible gives us clear coordinates as to where this city is." And he just followed the Bible, walked in, started digging, and started finding stuff immediately. It's funny, yeah. He didn't like try spots. He went to the spot, and there it was. <laughs> there it was. And it's just like it was under their nose the whole time, but people love to ignore the Bible, and clearly they're wrong. But make sure you go and listen to that. It's about an hour long, and it is truly an interesting interview. Dr. Stephen Collins, I hope you're listening. We definitely love your work, and I hope that we can one day go to the site. I would love to. Honestly, that's one of my things on the on our bucket list. It's a bucket, yep. Yeah, we got to do that. He invited us out, and he I did. think it's open to the public if you pay. You know, yeah, obviously you can, we'll have um, to pay too. <clears throat> yeah, you can be part of the excavation. They have like a team that goes out, and you can sign up for a week at a time, I think, and you'll go and you'll stay at a hotel. It's out in Jordan. Um, you mm. stay at a hotel for a week, and they bus the group in, and basically you <laughs> excavate artifacts uh, from the destroyed city of Sodom. Yeah. And That's really cool. you do that for a week and come home and... If it's anybody wants to buy me a birthday present, you know what I mean? shout out patrons. <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, it sounds awesome. No, nah, it's probably a couple thousand, if not. Yeah, you know. just I mean, just for the flight over to the Middle East, it's pretty yeah. expensive. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, then we have present failures as given to us as an example in verses eight through sixteen, the nature of the era. In verse eight nine, people relying on their dreams, defile the flesh and reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Uh, this term, glorious ones, have different interpretations based on what commentary you're reading. But some theologians say that the glorious ones here are demons. Uh, I haven't personally picked a side for this interpretation yet, but I can see that it makes sense based on verse 9, because this example of Michael the archangel is brought, where Michael the archangel is contending with the devil about the body of Moses. He did not pronounce a single sentence of condemnation towards the devil, but left it up to God's authority. And he was simply saying, the Lord rebuke you, demonstrating the exclusive power and authority of Jesus Christ. So so what that interpretation is saying about the glorious ones being demons is that we don't go on our own authority based on our own ability and just go and start rebuking demons and rebuking Satan. And, and out of our own power and out of our own gifting, we have this authority over that spiritual realm. No, it's God who has that authority. And if anyone is going to do anything through you, it's going to be God rebuking them, not you rebuking them. Yeah, that reminds me of the story of the sons of Sceva in Acts, Mm -hmm. where they went in basically on their own authority to try and cast out demons. They basically just got beat up and they left. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So in other words, you got these false teachers going around pretending like they have authority over Satan 
and they rely on their dreams and visions and reject everyone else's authority, and they try to speak directly to Satan and to demons like there's someone special, special, special. you hear me, special, Very like special. there's someone special, and I just want to give a special shout out to our friends shouting out the Shibu Inu coin. Mm. I want you to exposit this section here and tell me how you don't line up with this section because you clearly do. Wow. You clearly do. So there's a whole thread on our YouTube. Ryan made a little video about this Shiba quote Inu. unquote yeah, Shiba Inu coin. prophet saying that the Shibu Inu coin. Well, it's not one prophet. There's thousands. Thousands of you. It's, I actually uncovered like this whole community on YouTube that I didn't know existed. But it's sort of like uh, the prosperity gospel rebirthed mm-hmm. onto YouTube. Like nobody's watching TV anymore. So like the Benny Hens and the Kenneth Copelands, I think they're sort of history. And in my mind up to this point, there was like, those were still the guys, you know, those were still like the prosperity gospel guys. They're on whatever. What is it? TBN. TBN. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're losing their credibility. The yeah, yeah, yeah. And following. So I'm like, you know, I didn't really think about it. But then I uncovered this like entire YouTube community of prophets. There's there's even a channel called like Prophetic Prosperity or something like that where they take highlights of these prophets. And there's there's hundreds that have tens of th- hundreds of thousands hundreds of, of subscribers. Thousands of subscribers. Mm-hmm. So they're doing way more damage yeah. than Benny Hinn could have ever done in his time. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. the Shiba Inu coin thing is I I made a, like a quick reel and it went semi-viral, I guess, and it gets a lot of attention because I was basically uh, I was calling out this prophet who said that God told him not a real prophet that Shiba Inu coin was about to blow up on a specific day actually, and on that day Shiba Inu coin like majorly flopped. It was the and worst flop in the history in the of history of the cryptocurrency. And, and and here's the thing, right? People keep commenting um, towards him and saying, "Oh, you're not supposed to challenge men of God. You're not supposed to make fun and mock a true prophet." Da 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 da. And they're obviously not reading the book of Jude yeah, because they're relying solely on dreams and visions and they're not relying on the scriptures and they're not relying on the authority of church history and the authority of their local pastor. <laughs> they're, they're under dreams and visions. And if they get a vision about Shubu Inu coin, it actually supersedes the power of the scripture. And then they start, I don't know, just vomiting these prophecies out that never happened. It's sad because... I'd say 90% of people who are commenting are people who agree with the prophets yes. and who have probably put a lot of money into this cryptocurrency yeah. uh, and could very well lose it. Because yeah. crypto, crypto is wild. It's like the wild, wild west. And a lot of people lose a lot of money in crypto. Um, so that's that's sort of sad just to see the confidence yeah. of all these people. But then there's also a small portion of people who agree that these these this YouTube community is doing something wrong. And I've seen stories of people who have lost money because of it, because a prophet told them to invest in this or that, and then it tanked, and now they're broke. Right. And those stories are equally sad. Yeah. yeah. The the going broke part doesn't really bother me. What bothers me is the fact that even once they go broke, they still won't deny that that guy is is a, a you know a true prophet. They'll still say he's true. Yeah. They won't they won't make the claim that he's a false prophet. Oh no no no. False prophets can make mistakes. I mean, true prophets can make mistakes. They're human. Yeah. Maybe they were sleepy or something. Yeah. You know. I mean, I've met people in person now uh, who are like this. Very, yeah. very caught up in um, 
Well, some of it is a stock market, but just like risky ventures. But they, you know, they're saying it's of God and that yeah. this is what God wants of them. And you know. there's this there's this looming wealth transfer that they keep talking yeah. about this community. Yeah, and who knows who knows what's going to happen in the future, but. Yeah. Anyways, we should probably move on. Anyway, we've been kind of <laughs> yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. the Shiba Inu anyway, thing for a while. Don't invest in Shiba Inu. But either way, <laughs> the next section is the seriousness of this era that we're talking about. And with their claimed authority, they're actually blaspheming God. They're not yeah. helping anybody, and they're actually blaspheming the name they use to make these claims. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't want to keep hitting on it, but you keep saying keep that, claiming that on yeah. me that I'm mocking God. That I'm somehow blaspheming God by by talking bad about this false prophet, but actually the they're the ones. They're if you God. read the book exactly. of Jude, and actually you should you should definitely go on this comment section and and copy and paste some of these. References. I have. I said read Jude, read Jude, read Jude, yeah. because that's all you have to do. It takes there's like what twenty something. Yeah, verses. yeah, yeah. It takes five minutes of your time. Read Jude, and you will see that you are blaspheming God by speaking these yeah. false prophecies. Yeah. And the consequence of the era. And verses fourteen through sixteen is not that you, it's not just that you're blaspheming God, even though that's bad enough. It's that through blaspheming Him, God's gonna judge you hard. Yeah. So if anything, Ryan and our ministry is doing them a favor by calling out their nonsense and and hoping that they wake up to the truth of the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, anyway, point four of this book is exhortation to the faithful, verses seventeen through twenty three, and uh, it's a reminder. To remember the apostles' warning, and this is something that Ryan spoke about too, in verses 17 through 19, the apostles predicted that in the last days there would be ungodly scoffers. And hey, if you're like me, you might not know what a scoffer is off the top of your head. And um, it, basically, there's someone who laughs and speaks about a person or idea in a way that shows that they think a person or idea is stupid. I mean, Google puts it really plainly if if you just google scoffers so basically it's someone who's laughing at you or speaking against you because what you they think what you believe is dumb um so that's a scoffer and then uh the positive instruction of the readers in verses 20 to 23 is basically saying to keep ourselves in the love of god have mercy on those who don't believe yet so here's the part where it talks about the mercy but then it ends by telling us to snatch them out of the fire. So, wait a minute. You want me to have mercy on the unbeliever. You want me to do it in a merciful way. But you also want me to go over there and just snatch them out of the fire. Because they're obviously, they're risking burning for eternity. So that tells me, based on how the whole other book was so harsh on false teachers that not just teachers here that it's talking about, but it's talking about those, not teachers, those who haven't believed yet, those who are shaky in the faith. Have mercy on them by telling them the truth in a merciful way. But the goal is not just to change their mind for something that doesn't matter, but the goal is to prevent them from burning for all eternity and, and get them in the presence of God. So then there's the conclusion in verses 24 to 25. I'm going to wrap up pretty quickly. It's a masterful doxology that I'll probably use at the end of a sermon one day. It goes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, 
Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That was our episode on the book of Jude. We do hope you enjoyed it. And we do hope that you're reading your Bible and not just taking this audio for granted, but we want you to open up the Bible and read along so that you know it better. But if you do love out in ministry and you want to get more involved and you are not a part of... Dinner Nation! Ryan, why don't you tell them how they can get involved in that? Struggling with the soundboard, bro. I know. Struggling today. I'm on I rely the on you. Struggle bus. Um, yes. So Dinger Nation is comprised of our patrons, and uh, they uh, they become patrons on Patreon. You ever heard of it? It's a website no. where you can go on and become a patron All of right. Bible Dingers. You just search Bible Dingers. And you become a patron. Which means you can give a little as $1 a month and you get access to everything we do. Yep, yep. And uh, actually, a newer feature of Patreon is that you can do an uh, annual payment and you actually get a discount on your monthly payment by, you know, like 20% or something like that. Um, anyways, the reason why you would want to do that is because you will be put into discord and instagram chats with us you can you can contact us and communicate with us um also you will get early releases of every podcast episode that we put out all of our patrons have already heard this episode a week ago you get audio rips from our youtube videos which i keep forgetting to mention um Basically, it's it's hard for some people, I think, to watch our long-form YouTube videos because they prefer to listen to us while they're driving or something like that. And so that is a patron-only exclusive perk. Is it live yet? Yeah, I've already oh, really? uploaded okay, audio cool, cool. rips. Um, so, yes, we rip the audio from rip our it, videos. Rip we rib it, and we put it on Patreon. And... Uh, I sound incredibly boring right now, you know? Anyways, you can find links to that at BibleDingers.com. And if you want to research us, us do what now? And if you want to research our ministry a little bit deeper and you don't have the money to give, we certainly still welcome you to be a part of our ministry by going on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and searching at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there, just give me the likes, don't pass and don't scroll. Pass and scroll. Oh. Hit subscribe, hit like, hit that follow button, and most importantly, ding on. Bible Dingers. Every day I wake up, drink from a new cup. Bible days. Embrace the day. Cause I'm lost right now. I'm so lost right now. All these thoughts right now.